Chapter Twelve, Part Two of A History of the Philippines. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Elliot Miller. A History of the Philippines by David Barrows. Chapter Twelve, Part Two. Establishment of an educational system. Return of the Jesuits. But more important than all other influences was the opening of education to Filipinos. In 1852, a royal decree authorized the Jesuits to return to the Philippines. The conditions under which they came back were that they should devote themselves solely to missions in the unoccupied fields of Mindanao and to the higher education of the Filipinos. The Public Schools In 1863, Concha the Spanish Minister of War and Colonies, Ultramar, decreed the system of public primary instruction. A primary school for boys and one for girls was to be established in each pueblo of the islands. In these schools, instruction was to be given in the Spanish language. A superior commission of education was formed, which consisted of the governor, the archbishop, and seven other members, added by the governor himself. The system was not secular, for it primarily was devoted to the teaching of religious doctrine. The Spanish friar, the Pueblo curate, was the local inspector of schools and practically directed their conduct. It was not wholly a free system, because tuition was required of all but the poorest children. Nor was it an adequate system, because even when the most complete, it reached only a small proportion of the children of a parish and these very largely were of the well-to-do families, and yet this system, for what it accomplished, is deserving of praise. Besides the church, the convent, and the tribunal, nearly every town in the Philippines, toward the close of Spanish rule, had also, in the public plaza, its public school buildings for boys and for girls. In these towns, a number of Filipinos were taught to converse in the Spanish language, and at least the rudiments of Spanish education. But this system did not give opportunity for education to the little child of the humble fisherman and the husbandman. The Manila Normal School To prepare Filipino teachers to do this work of primary instruction, a decree of 1863 established the Manila Normal School. In charge of the Jesuits, this school was inaugurated January 1865, and about the same date the government decreed the foundation of the Jesuit Ateneo Municipal for higher instruction in the classics and sciences that should conduct the student to the degree of Bachelor of Arts. The influence of these institutions upon the development of the Filipino has been remarkable. In one or the other of them has been trained nearly all those young men who in recent years have stirred the Filipino people to wide ambitions and demands. At the same time, the excellent Jesuit observatory, which has done such important work in meteorology, was established in charge of Padre Fuara. Increase in Spanish Population The opening of the Suez Canal in 1869 brought immense changes to the islands. Previous to this date, Spanish residents had been few. Almost the only class deeply interested in the islands and permanently established here had been the friars. But with communication by steamer in thirty days from Barcelona to Manila, a new interest was felt by Spaniards in the Philippines, 
though, unfortunately, this interest was greatest among the politicians. Some of the projects planned and decreed can only be regarded as visionary, and beyond the point of serviceability, and others, more unfortunately still, had for their purpose the creation of offices and annulments of peninsula politicians. But they all contributed to bring to an end the paternal government under which there was no prospect of further enlightenment or progress for the Filipino. Increase in the number of wealthy, educated Filipinos. The Filipino had now become embarked upon a new current of intellectual experience, a course of enlightenment which had been so full of unexpected development, and which has already carried him far from his ancestor of one hundred years ago that we cannot say what advance another generation or two may bring. Throughout all the towns of the islands a class was rapidly growing, up to which the new industries had brought wealth. Their means enabled them to build spacious and splendid homes of the fine hard woods of the Philippines, and to surround themselves with such luxuries as the life of the islands permitted. This class was rapidly gaining education. It acquired a knowledge of the Spanish language, and easily assumed the graceful courtesy which distinguishes the Spaniard. The only misfortune, as regards this class, was that it was very small. It could embrace but a few families in each populous town. Some of these had Chinese and Spanish blood in their veins, but other notable families were pure Filipinos. Attitude of the Spanish and the Friars Toward Filipino Education The great mistake committed by the Spaniard was that he rarely welcomed the further progress of the native population. And the center of this opposition to the general enlightenment of the race was the friars. Thus those who had been the early protectors and educators little by little, because of their extreme conservatism, and their fear of loosening the ties that bound the Filipino to the church and to Spain, changed into opponents of his progress and enemies of his enlightenment. But the education which the church itself had given to the Filipino, and which had been fostered by the state and especially in recent times by the Jesuits, had made the Filipino passionately ambitious for more enlightenment and freedom. The Rule of Governor Torre, Liberal Reforms In 1868, Queen Isabella II of Spain was deposed, and a little later a revolutionary government, the Republic of Spain, was founded. It was a brief triumph of that reforming and liberal spirit which for so many years had been struggling to free Spain from the burdens of aristocracy and ecclesiasticism. The natural consequence was the sending of a liberal governor to the Philippines and the publication of liberal principles and reforms. This governor was General de la Torre. He was a brave and experienced soldier and a thorough democrat at heart. He dispensed with the formality and petty pomp with which the governors of Manila had surrounded themselves. He dismissed the escort of halberdiers with their medieval uniforms and weapons, which had surrounded the governor's generals since 1581, and rode out in civilian's clothes and without ostentation. His efforts were directed to encouraging the Filipinos, and to attaching them to Spain. In the eyes of the Spanish law, for a brief period, Spaniard and colonists had become equal, and Latore tried to enforce this principle and make no distinction of race or birth. While Filipinos were encouraged and delighted, it is impossible to describe the disgust of the Spanish population and the opposition of the friars. Latore was attacked and opposed, and the entire course of his governorship was filled with trouble, in which naturally 
liberal ideas gain wider and wider currency among the Filipinos. Effect of the Opposition of the Friars The friars, being the most influential opponents of the Filipino, naturally came to be regarded by the Filipinos as their greatest enemies. And the anti-friar spirit daily spread and intensified. A party was formed which demanded that friars vacate the parishes, and that their places be filled by secular priests, in accordance with the statutes of the Council of Trent. This party was headed by the native priests, Dr. Jose Burgos and Father Gomez. A Filipino Movement for Reform After the fall of the Republic in Spain, and the restoration of the monarchy, the administration in the Philippines attempted to extirpate the rising tide of liberal thought. But these ideas had taken root and could not be suppressed. The Filipino party, if so we may call it, continued to plan and work for reform. It numbered not only those of Filipino blood, but many of Spanish descent born in the Philippines. There is no certain evidence that they were at this time plotting for independence, or that their actions were treasonable. But the fear and hatred felt by the Spaniards resulted frequently in the exile and punishment of known advocates of reform, the Cavite Revolt. In 1872 there occurred an important outbreak known as the Cavite Revolt. Two hundred native soldiers at the Cavite arsenal rose, killed their officers, and shouted, Death to Spain! They had fellow conspirators among the troops in Manila. But, owing to mistakes in their plans, these failed to rise with them, and the revolt was easily suppressed. It was immediately followed by the arrest of a large number of Filipinos, who had been conspicuous in La Torre's time, and who were advocates of reform. These number included the three priests, Father Burgos, Zamora, and Gomez, besides Dr. Antonio Regidor, Don Joaquin Pardo de Tavera, Don Puelo Quero, and others. A council of war condemned to death forty-one of the participants in the Cavite riot, and these were shot on the morning of the 27th of January, 1872, on the field of Begumbian. On the 6th of February, a council of war condemned to death eleven more soldiers of the regiment of artillery, but this sentence was commuted by the governor to life imprisonment. On the 15th of February, the same council of war sentenced to death upon the Garoth the priests Burgos, Zamora, Gomez, and a countryman, Saldua, and this sentence was executed on the morning of the 17th. The spread of secret organizations, masonry. New ground for fear was now found in the spread of secret organizations, which were denounced as Freemasonry. This is a very ancient institution which, in Protestant countries like England and America, has a very large membership, and in these countries its aims are wholly respectable. It has never in any way been connected with sedition or other unworthy movements. Its services are, in fact, largely of a religious character, and it possesses a beautiful and elaborate Christian ritual. But in Latin countries, masonry has been charged with political intrigue and the encouragement of infidelity, and this has resulted in clerical opposition to the order wherever found. The first Masonic Lodge in the Philippines was established about 1861 and was composed entirely of Spaniards. It was succeeded by others with Filipino membership, and in one way or another seems to have inspired many secret organizations, which were formed some years later.
the Association Hispano-Filipina. Large numbers of Filipinos were now working, if not for independence, at least for the expulsion of the friars, and while this feeling should have been met by a statesmanlike and liberal policy of reform, the government constantly resorted to measures of repression, which little by little changed the movement for reformation into revolution. In 1888, the Association Hispano-Filipina was formed by a number of the younger Filipino patriots and students in Spain. Their object was Philippine reform. The most famous of this group, who gained a supreme place in the hearts of Filipinos and in the history of the islands, was Dr. José Rizal y Macardo. He was born in 1861 at Calamba, on Laguna de Bay and even as a child he was affected with sadness at the memory of the events of 1872, and with the backward and unhappy condition of his countrymen. He was educated by the Jesuits at the Atino Municipality in Manila, and his family having means he was enabled to study in Spain, where he took a degree in medicine, and later to travel and study in France, England, and Germany. It was in this latter country he produced his first novel, Noli Me Tangere, he was also a contributor to the Filipino paper published in Spain, La Soljardiedad. It was to bring the conditions and needs of his country to public notice that he wrote this novel dealing with Tagalog life as represented at his old home on Laguna de Bay and in the city of Manila. Later he published a sequel, El Filibusterissimo, in which even more courageously and significantly are set forth his ideas for reform. His work made him many enemies and on his return to Manila he found himself in danger and was obliged to leave. He returned again in 1892, founded La Liga Filipina, and was immediately arrested and sentenced to deportation to Dapitan Mindanao. Here he remained quietly in exile for some years. The Katipunan Meanwhile, the ideas which had been agitated by the wealthy and educated Filipinos had worked their way down to the poor and humble classes. They were now shared by the peasant and the fishermen, especially in those provinces where the religious orders owned estates and took as rental a portion of the tenant's crop. There was growing hatred and hostility to the friars. The Liga Filipina had been composed of cultivated and moderate men, who, while pressing for reform, were not inclined to radical extremes, nor to obtain their ends by violent means. But there now grew up and gradually spread, until it had branches and members in all the provinces surrounding Manila, a secret association composed largely of the uneducated classes whose object was independence of Spain, and whose members, having little to lose, were willing to risk all. This was the society which had since become famous under the name of Katipunan. This secret association was organized in Manila about 1892. Its president and founder was Andres Bonifacio. Its objects were frankly to expel the friars and, if possible, to destroy the Spanish government. Rebellion of 1896 A general attack and slaughter of the Spaniards was planned for the end of the year 1896. The plot was discovered by the priests of Binado. Padre Gil, who had learned of the movement through a sister of one of the conspirators, and within a few hours the government had seized several hundred persons who were supposed to be implicated. The arrests included many rich and prominent Filipinos, and at the end of some weeks 
The Spanish prisons contained several thousand suspects. Over one thousand of these were almost immediately exiled to far-distant Spanish prisons Fernando Po, on the west coast of Africa, and the fortress of Ceuta, on the Mediterranean. Meanwhile, the Kadipunin was organizing its forces for struggle. On the 26th of August, a force of insurgents attacked Calucan, and four days later a pitched battle was fought at San Juan del Monte. In this last fight, the insurgents suffered a great loss. Their leader, Valenzuela, was captured, with three companions shot on the Campo de Bagumbian. The rising continued, however, and the provinces of Pampanga, Balacan, and Nueva Isca were soon in full rebellion. The center of revolt, however, proved to be Cavite. This province was almost immediately cleared of Spaniards, except the long neck of land containing the town of Cavite and protected by the fleet. Here the insurgents received some organization under a young man, who had been prominent in the Catipunan, Emilio Aguinaldo. The governor-general, Blanco, a humane man, who afterwards for a short time commanded in Cuba, was recalled, and General Polavieja replaced him. The Spanish army, at the beginning of the revolt, had consisted of but fifteen hundred troops, but so serious was the revolt regarded that Spain, although straining every energy at the moment to end the rebellion in Cuba, strengthened the forces in the Philippines, until Palavieja had an army of twenty-eight thousand Spaniards assisted by several loyal Filipino regiments. With this army, a fierce campaign in Cavite province was conducted which after fifty-two days' hard fighting ended in the defeat of the insurgents and the scattering of their forces. Death of Dr. Rizal For the moment it looked as though the rebellion might pass. Then the Spanish government of Palajeva disgraced itself by an act as wanton and cruel as it was inhuman and impolitic. Four years Dr. Rizal had spent in exile at Dapitan, he had lived quietly and under surveillance, and it was impossible that he could have had any share in this rebellion of 1898. Wearied, however, with his inactivity, he solicited permission to go as an army doctor to the dreadful Spanish hospitals in Cuba. This request was granted in July, and Rizal had the misfortune to arrive in Manila at the very moment of discovery of the rebellion in August. Governor Blanco hastened to send him to Spain, with a most kindly letter to the Minister of War, in which he vouched for his independence of the events which were taking place in Manila. His enemies, however, could not see him escape. Their persecution followed him to the peninsula, and upon his arrival in Spain, Rizal was at once arrested and sent back to Manila a prisoner. His friend Blanco had gone. Polajeva, the friend and tool of his reactionary party, was busy punishing by imprisonment banishment or death, all Filipinos who could be shown to have had the slightest part or association in the movement for reform. And by this clique, Dr. Rizal was sentenced to execution. He was shot early on the morning of December 30, 1896. At his death, the insurrection flamed out afresh. It now spread from Pangasinan, Zambales, and Ilocos. End of the Revolt by Promises of Reform Polavigia returned to Spain and was succeeded by General Primo de Rivera, 
who arrived in the spring of 1897. The Spanish troops had suffered several recent reverses, and the country swarmed with insurgents. The policy of Primo de Rivera was to gain by diplomacy where the energy of his predecessor had failed. In July 1897, an amnesty proclamation was issued, and in August the governor-general opened negotiations with Aguinaldo, whose headquarters were now in the mountains of Angat in Bolacan. Primo de Rivera urged the home government to make some reforms, which would greatly lessen the political importance of the friars. He was vehemently opposed by the latter, but it was probably in the hope of some reform that Aguinaldo and his fellow insurgents agreed, for the payment of six hundred thousand pesos to surrender their arms, dismiss the insurgent forces, and themselves retire from the islands. This agreement was made, and on December twenty-seventh, 1897, Aguinaldo left the port of Sual for Hong Kong. The Spanish misrule ended. Conditions in the provinces still continued very unsatisfactory, and in its very last hours the Spanish government lost the remnant of its prestige with the people by a massacre in Calle Camba, Benando, of a company of Bisayan sailors. Ten days after this occurrence a revolt blazed out on the island of Cebu. Had events taken their course, what would have been the final conclusion of the struggle between Spaniards and Filipinos it is impossible to say. In the month of April, war was declared between Spain and the United States. On the first day of May, an American fleet reached Manila Harbor, and in a naval fight off Cavite, Spanish Dominion, which had lasted with only one brief interruption for 333 years, was ended. End of chapter 12, part 2